0: Thank you so much. No, I just, um, you know, all I, I can say is that I'm really, I feel loved, you know, by the people of the United States, and uh, you're really friendly. You've cared for me well. People that are watching via the internet that has just followed the ministry, people that were just driving to the, to the services all the time. Um, man, I've even got a small groupie. Yeah, so <laughs> and uh, but just thank you for supporting the ministry and uh, loving me and loving my wife and my children. It's wonderful to be part of a family, you know, and that is what I, what I really experience. Um, you know, I've, uh, John Sheesby said this, and this is, just, this is not even part of the message or anything, but John Sheesby says this, and he's a South African living in the United States. And, um, you know, I've always had this issue in coming to the United States. I felt that, you know, yeah, I should go and preach and teach people and uh, people want me to come and preach. But I always felt, man, I shouldn't do that, you know, because most people just come for the money and all those kind of things. And then one day I felt the Lord said to me, why would you have your ministry born from another man's abuse? You know, so another guy does something wrong and now I find my heart being shaped by what I think, you know, I I didn't want to be associated with a certain thing, and then John Sheesby said something that really blessed me, and um, he said, you know, if you, uh, if if you've received the gift, you know, you want to go with that gift or that talent, and uh, see as much multiplication of that talent as possible, Uh, so go where you celebrate it. So thank you for celebrating what the Lord's doing in my life, and in, and um, you know in in just embracing the ministry and just my way of teaching my way of preaching and um, just loving what God is doing in my life I I appreciate you guys so much and I say that from the depth of my heart right Um, tonight I'm going to continue to speak on the healing of the heart the healing of the heart last night we basically um, uh, just in a short summary is uh, we, we, we said that the heart is basically the belief system you know and that like you would find in the, the, the heart of Islam is there is a God that uh, wants to bless his people he has certain attributes and is given a book called the Quran and then if you would um, you know obey the, the commands of the Quran then you, he would give you life if you don't obey it then you will um, you know you're going to go to hell or you're going to die and we found that that very same thought pattern is basically in, in Christianity. There's a God with a book, you know, and he's given us this book and he's given us commands and he wants to give us life and he wants, wants us to do good, but if we don't obey his commands, then he's going to kill us and, uh, you know, he's going to send us to hell and if we do obey, he's going to give us life. And uh, we, we basically found that, I mean, that is the, that is the heart of what I would call legalism, or the heart of the flesh, Uh, a flesh heart which is based in human works when we try to interpret who God is from a platform of our own ability. Now, um, I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't been on my website, get on my website, Uh, in the search there, whatever topic you can think of, type it in there, and if I've got something on it, the search engine will just bring it up. And you can listen to some of the messages. And you can go and uh, type in there the fulfillment of the law. And I think I've got a ten part series where I speak on the fulfillment of the law, which is so needed in the church today. We need to understand what the law is. We, We actually need to understand that the Ten Commandments is ten commandments of a law. There is a law. And this law has got ten commandments. And then those commandments are referred to as the law... Because it is a a certain kind of a law, but there is the law of life, and then the law of sin and death. And what are these laws? Um, And and in that teaching, I basically explain that the law started um, even before the fall of man. Um, There was a law, and that law was called the ministration of death and man had access to that law, and how that actually kills us, and and to make a long story short, that the law is actually a belief in the heart of a human, wherein he believes that he can have a quality life by his own ability, wherein he can find a life uh, by observing all the good, and working the good, looking at his own ability, working this ability, and then, by that, build a report about his life from where he finds life. Now, let me explain that uh, uh, in a very simple way. Let's say I am uh, a, good, uh, I'm a good preacher. I can preach. I can teach. Now, uh, uh, the law that will kill me would be to say, well, because if, I, if I'm a good preacher, and I just preach right, and I do the preaching thing right, and I never commit a sin, and I live right, and I do all those things right, and if a lot of people believe me, and if I see signs and wonders in my, in my ministry, that means that I am successful. So, here's the knowledge of the good. I've got knowledge of what is good in my life. I can preach. What would be evil? The knowledge of good and evil. Evil would be to try, and I'm going to explain that further to, tonight, to try and work this good, that I know is really good, that can even be from God, and then by working that good, build a report that says, I am successful for thousands believed, thousands got healed, thousands lives got changed, and uh, you know, people celebrate me and, and everything, and they love me, and they love my wife, and you know, I've got thousands of hits on the website, and that spells success, and then the belief that says, from that success, and that definition, I can feel peace, and I can feel joy, and I can say, you know, that is life, and I, and I find my life in that glorious report that I've worked up by having knowledge of good in my life, using willpower to build a report from where I can have life. That is called the law of sin and death. That will kill you. That is the very thing God warned Adam against. God wasn't warning Adam against ten commandments. It wasn't even written. didn't even exist. That was only written long after that. But those were only commandments of the law. And the, that's why the Ten Commandments is called the ministration of death. And we're going to get more into that tonight. Right. Uh, let us talk about the heart. What is the heart? Let's turn to Proverbs 4. And we're going to read from verse 20. I think we read it last night. We're just going to read it again. Uh, the heart of a human has always uh, just been seen as the spirit or as the soul of man, but we've never really um, defined what the heart is. Uh, now, Proverbs uh, speak uh, of this, which is vi- a little bit about this, just gives us a kind of a, a hint. And then I went into the uh, Greek and I went into j- just normal Webster's. You know, I like Webster's that's got the 1800s, you know, from the 1800s. the the definitions into the English was found from the Bible. So if you want to understand the English Bible, if you want to understand the King James English, don't go and type in what is that English word on Google and try and find out what that word is, neither try and define a lot of the meanings of those English words by the normal vocabulary that we have today. Those things were written in the 1600s. English... Words had different meanings then than now. And so Webster's comes and t- takes the old English words and explains it in the context and explain what that English word actually means from a biblical perspective. So that is a very, very good dictionary to use in understanding what the Bible says. Now the reason why I study out words, you know, in, in, in dictionaries, especially the English dictionary, is because I wasn't good at English in school. You know, I remember getting an F for English in my final year. And then I was already saved. Now that means I, I would have failed, you know, if, <laughs> if, if it was just a God help. With God's help, I got an F. <laughs> when I got that F, I just was so happy. Because, you know, if you fail English in South Africa, you fail your year. And here I was doing good in other subjects, but that English, I got the F. And to me, that F just spelled fantastic, and <clears throat> I made it, you know. So um, I could understand English, but I—it I, I, was difficult for me to speak it, and it was also difficult for me, you know, th- especially King James and my pastor, you know, back then, you know, when he believed in the King James because if it was good enough for Moses, it was good enough for him, <laughs> you know. So in the so I had to go and with a dictionary and started. Uh, discover what these words mean. And then I realized that most English people don't know what the English words mean. It's really like that. Especially in Tennessee in the mountains. (laughs) You know those guys? (laughs) It's not many people that welcome you, you know, at the hotel and in in the, you know, the gifts they have there over here. You know, it's like, Nice sweets and some health stuff and water and everything. There, man, it is like moonshine, Band-Aid and headache pills. <laughs> I asked them why, did, why the Band-Aid? They say, man, that stuff is strong. If you fall around in your room, then you can put the Band-Aid on, you know. So, well, just a little bit. This really happened. It's not a joke. It's really happened. I love those people. They're good people. Proverbs, what did I say? Proverbs 4, 4 verse 20. Let's just read this. We talk about the heart of man. Um, It says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues or the forces that drives your life. Again, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence. That word, keep there means to protect or to guard your heart with all diligence. Now, um, if you just re- listen to the, to the writer here, he's very, very concerned about the heart and the protecting of the heart. He says, you're prote- protect your heart with all diligence. If you study that out in the Hebrews, it basically says, protect your heart above Anything that must be protected. In other words, protect your heart above your child, above your wife, above your own life. That's what he's saying here. So, if, there's some, if you need to choose what to protect, your own child or your heart, choose your heart. Because what's going to happen if your child dies and you still live and your heart got corrupted? You will never have life and everybody around you will have to eat the bitterness that flows from your heart and you will experience death in your very own life because of a corrupted heart. So, if God comes and He tells us something as powerful as this, and He talks about the heart, and he even goes on and says, I will put a new heart in you, we need to ask ourselves, what is the heart? How does the heart function? And you know, uh, uh, how does this whole heart system Uh, pertain to us. Now, um, Webster says this, the heart is the seat of our emotions, purpose, and passions. It's the seat of, the, the seat of the faculty of our understanding and intelligence. And it's the seat from where all life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, springs forth. Now, seat there, I like the word seat, In the sense of, if I can have a chair up here, can you just bring me a chair? And I want to just use this, sometimes when when we see this, it helps our hearts. Thank you so much. You know, if we say it is the seat of our our emotions, it means our heart is the seat, and our emotion finds its rest and can relax in this seat. Okay? It's also the, the, the seat of the faculty of our intelligence or uh, uh, um, understanding. So in other words, the way you understand things finds its rest in your heart. Finds its rest in your heart. So the heart is a very, very important thing. Now... This seat here explains it beautifully, and then there's another seat that I'm going to explain just for the grease monkeys. Who of you know car, car engines and stuff? Can you just put up your hand? You've worked on cars. Okay, now, I remember my dad would always say to me, and I'm just going to explain this quickly, just for you guys, you'll understand it better than this chair. If you would do an engine over that is overheated or something, you would... Um, after you've, you've skimmed the head and everything, you would seat the valves. Now, when you seat the valves, is when you put the new valve into the head. And you would put a grinding paste in between the valve and the head, which is all made of steel. And then they've got this... Back then, we just used this thing that you just put a plug on the, on the valve and use your hands and grind those valves, you know. And what you were doing is... With that grinding paste, you were basically sanding the valve and the and the head to the point where they perfectly fit together. To the point that you know, after you put the valve springs in, you turn up, you know, the right way up. You put some paraffin in there, and if it doesn't run out, you know, it is really seated perfectly. It means it fits perfectly. So what it means is when we when when Webster says um, our heart is the seat of our emotions, it means our emotions—what you feel, how you think, how you live—perfectly fits what you believe. Fits your heart. Okay. So it's the very the faculty I like. You know, faculty is a difficult word for us sometimes, but the best way I can explain faculty in a way that we can understand it is the factory. You know, it's a place that produces your thoughts. So, so your heart is that which produces your understanding and produces your intellect and produces your way of thinking about things in this life. If you go down to um, Mississippi and you look at how they think about things, and you go to New York, and you see how they think about things, you find it's different. The way they understand people are different. The way they look at politics is different, because they've got a different understanding, for they've got a different heart. The best way you can uh, 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 describe the heart is, the belief system. What you believe with a heart we believe unto righteousness. So, if this chair believes that you will be blessed by what you do, then, when I do good things, then the emotion of I am well, you know, and I am righteous, will perfectly be addressed here. Perfectly addressed. If I've done something wrong, Or if I've sinned, you know, and, you know, I haven't done what I'm supposed to do, maybe, you know, the belief says, or the heart says, you are by what you do, and certain laws comes from this, or your intellect, or your logic, or your understanding that is born from this is, I understand that I need to go to church every Sunday. Okay? So, when I go to church every Sunday the logic produced by what I believe, allows me to have the emotion of success, the emotion of peace, the emotion of joy, completely at rest, and I feel comfortable, in the seat of, I am what I do. Should you skip a Sunday, skip your tithe, and, get very upset, and flick the bird, (laughs) and you come and sit down, you feel that you don't feel comfortable here anymore. You feel very uncomfortable, and that is called the emotion of guilt, or rejection, or failure. And in the very same way, your whole life is formed by the seat the seat is the perfect match. It, it matches all your emotions, your intellect, your understanding, your intelligence, your spiritual life, um, the physical things that you do every day, finds, it, it, is a exact, it, 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 it fits exactly what you believe in your heart. A human being is a being, that possesses this unique ability, and that is to believe. And what makes us unique is, that this belief is not just called a belief, and I thank God that it's just not called a belief, but it's called the heart, the core of a being. From our very deepest core, we have this ability to believe in something. And that belief is what, makes us or breaks us. That belief actually animates into our life. A human being has got this variability to have a thing called a heart. This heart is shaped by words. This heart is shaped by words. Since we are relational beings, since we are people that function from... Um, uh, uh, we, 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 we've never been made to be alone never never been made to be alone like I said I think I said it here last night I was asked some years ago when I was in um, uh, um, Las Vegas when I preached there preached there precious lady and her husband invited me there she's passed away in the meantime and um, said to me don't you want to go and see the Grand Canyon you know they put me in a helicopter and show me the whole place fly over the canyon. I said, uh, no, I cannot, because I've been designed to share that with my wife. You know, that's who I am. My, my deepest core, my deepest being inside me, I don't want to do stuff that's too nice alone. Because uh, uh, what that situation actually promises is, let's say, the Grand Canyon that I can go and see or um, you know, uh, Vic- Victoria Falls in South Africa, which is the biggest waterfall in the world. So, uh, non South Africa, in African in Zambia border there. If you go there and you go and go and see that, that situation there promises something wonderful. Should there be a being that is really one with you, and that being goes there with you, you'll be able to co-feel and co-share in that person's joy. You will feel what he feels, you will think what he thinks, and you will be able to experience what what that person's life is inside you, because of this unique thing called belief. Let me explain to you this way. Um, I don't know if I said it here last night. Forgive me if I did. Yes, last night I said to you that I was invited to go and see a musical called The Sound of Music, you know it very well, it's an old musical, very beautiful, um, you know, time can never wear it out, it's beautiful, so, um, you know, when I grew up, I grew up fixing cars, my wife grew up in the state theater, basically, she did some plays there, she loves the arts, she loves the finer things in life, and after 20 years of marriage, you know, I was watching this, this, I went with my wife, we went down and watched this beauty, beautiful musical. Now, in the, in the beginning, you know, I remember I went and I watched some operas with her. I would be completely fascinated with the decor. <laughs> well, I, because, you know, some of those doors they bring in there is like five meters high. What's that? F- f- five times three. 15, 16 feet high doors and they just slide in and out like it's just within seconds it's gone and there's new tables and this everything and a new scene and a, everything you know and I would always think how do they do that and I would you know with my, my technical brain and engineering brain try and work these things out and she couldn't care about that door she was just ah. Oh. and then I was watching this musical with her three days before I came onto this trip and I realized that while I was there I forgot about the decor and this woman was singing with an opera voice and was so beautiful to me that it brings tears to my eyes. And when I was looking at that and in that moment I, I basically forgot about my wife. I forgot about everything. I was... Caught up in the moment, and I just felt the Holy Spirit revealed something to me there. I did not enjoy the moment. What happened was because of a heart that allowed another person into it. It would it allowed the emotions that she carry. It Im- allowed her logic. It allowed her feelings, it allowed the faculty of her mind, her intelligence, to find its seat in me. And what was actually happening is, I was feeling her life in me. And I could feel how it feels like to be her. That joy was not a joy I had, because of the opera. Her joy was born in me and I could share in the authentic joy that's in her life. Now, that is what we would call just psychology, but it's the truth about the human design, and it is the parameter wherein God moves and has a relationship with us. He's given us this unique thing called the heart, a thing we believe with. This is shaped by beholding Someone else or something or listening to certain words. Here it says, my son, let us read it again. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, for sayings there is my slogans. So, listen to my slogans. Listen to my words, and then it will enter your heart. So, my son, and I I like this, it is a father-son relationship. It is a safe place. In the safe place, allow, just meditate upon these words as words that comes from your Abba, as words that comes from your father, the one that cares for you. When you hear these words in this safe place, you will find it enters your heart. And as it enters your heart, it shapes the seat of your life. And it will determine what emotions will be comfortable in you. You will either feel, you know, like depression, for instance, can be something that is always in your life based on a certain belief. Sometimes it can be a chemical thing or some imbalance as well. But let's talk spiritually here. This heart, will tell you when a joke is funny or not. Because of what you believe. So, this belief system is very, very important. And the greatest thing that would ever form your belief is your view about God. Because a human being has been designed by God to have a yearning and a longing for God. So, every human there is has got a desire for God. Now, they can either say there is, they can try and search for God, never find a God, and then feel so upset that they say there is no God, but most of the time that is born from a desire for God. The Bible says He has has placed upon the earth to seek after Him. That seek is not hide and seek like He's gone and we must try and find Him. That seek is to have a, a natural inclination. You know, like I, you know, when I, before I got married, I mean, there was this natural thing in me, I'm looking for a wife. I'm looking for someone of the opposite sex that I can share my life with. There's this natural inclination. That's what talks about seeking. We have been designed as men and as women to seek the opposite sex. We want, a, we want somebody. Another seeking that is in a human is never to be alone, but to share your life with someone. Why? Because we have been taken from a being called God, which functions as Elohim. Elohim means the uh, divine ones or the Trinity, the Godhead, the heavenly family. God has never been alone. God never wants to be alone. God cannot function alone. Even when man was made, and when man was made, and he was the only one in human flesh, God said to him, Give names to the animals, and as he gave names to the animals, then the Bible says, and Adam found that there was none like him. And then God said, trying to explain to us today, what's alive in the Trinity and our relationship with God, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So, uh, uh, the natural thing of a human and the human heart is he wants someone. He wants to be influenced by someone and he also wants to influence someone. That word influence that I've just used is a very accurate explanation or a definition of the word grace in the Bible. Influence. So, the heart, when the heart is under grace, It means that the heart is under the very influence of God. And when you're under the influence of God, it will create the seat, the seat of your emotion, the seat of your purpose, the seat of your passion, the seat of the faculty of your understanding and intelligence, the seat of all life, spiritually, emotionally and physically, will be formed and shaped by grace. Amen. I hope you you get what I'm saying because I, I'm sharing stuff that it took God 20 years to teach me this stuff. The heart, let's go and look at, at, at Matthew 12 verse 35. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, evil things. Then it says, but I say unto you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. Now, you know, I I wish I had time to explain what that idle word there is, but I, I, I can't. Let's. I thought, let me do it, but it's going to take 10 minutes, and I don't have the 10 minutes for that now. So it says here, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. That word treasure there, means a coffer where valuable things are kept. A coffer where valuable things are kept. The most valuable thing that you will ever have in your life is words. What someone says about you and what you believe, someone, you know, somebody can do a very bad thing to you, but if you don't believe it says anything about you, it will not touch your life. But if somebody does something very bad about you, you know, I've seen people, children, you know, um, you know in, in counseling, you find people that say, you know, I was molested as a child, but it never bothered me. I just thought that, you know, this guy's not thinking straight. Never bothered the person. Never. It was never even an issue. It was, you know, my uncle did this. So what? I can't have my life shaped by that. And other people, when that happens, they hear a certain word. There's a message. And that message says, you are, you've been violated. You are a nothing. You are filthy. You are dirty. And there's a word that comes from that action. And that word shapes your belief. And you treasure that word, the heart, the Bible says, from the treasure of the heart. From that treasure, like I said there, is the coffer where valuables are kept. So, words are valuable. What stuff says to you is valuable. It enters our heart, and that heart, where it is inside our heart, you know, shapes our life. Then it says, now listen to this, this is some very important Um, stuff in verse 35 there, it says, and we're going to explain this now, Um, I said it was 1235, just read it again, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, a good man, out of that, let's call the box, where he keeps the valuable things, from there, he brings forth good things, and an evil man, the guy in whom's life evil manifests, out of the evil, brings forth evil things, now, what is an evil heart? Now, the Bible says that in the beginning there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that word evil there, uh, when Paul read that word evil, he was not reading it from the Hebrew text. He was reading it from what is called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that is what Paul uh, read. And there's a lot of proof for that in the New Testament that I can't go into now. What that word evil mean in the Greek is to be full of labor or annoyance or to work hard. So, (laughs) the good man out of the good treasure or the treasure or the the box that keeps the valuables of what is good brings forth good. But the evil man out of the evil treasure in his heart, brings forth evil. Now that evil means, hard work or labor. So, I mean, how can hard work or labor be evil? Aren't we supposed to work? No, the context is, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then die, is to have knowledge of, of the good, like I've explained, in other words, knowledge of all the good things that God gave Adam, and then to find your identity in the very good things that manifest in your life, and then working those good things. Like for instance, let's say there is a a, a certain principle in the Bible that should say, if you pray five times a day, you're going to have a breakthrough. What will we do then? Well, let's look at this good thing. Is it good to pray? Yeah. Yeah. Let us do this five times and then we're going to have a breakthrough. That doing of it to try and find life from it is called evil. It's evil. Like Jesus. You know, and let me explain this. This is going to make sense to you. When Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil, the devil came to him after 40 days. The Bible says, not even after 40 days, the Bible says, after 40 days, Jesus became hungry. And when he became hungry, then the devil came and tempted him. Now let me explain that hunger there, that Jesus had. Jesus was the Son of God. Why was he the Son of God? Very simple. Because Joseph was not his daddy, and God was. That's why he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God, because he was. Because... God was his daddy. So was he the son of God? Yes. Here he comes, and after 40 days, the Bible says he became hungry. Now, all of us that go on a fast today will know by tomorrow morning you're hungry. (laughs) So the hunger there, I don't believe it talks about a physical hunger in his stomach. Because that he would have felt just by skipping the first meal. Any one of us know that if your stomach is used to a certain amount of food, and you stop to eat, if you skip the next meal, your stomach will already feel hunger. So here it says, after 40 days he became hungry. What he was hungry for was not physical food, but what he was hungry for was an affirmation that he is the Son of God. That's what he was hungry for, because his situation told him, you are not the Son of God, you sit in the desert, you haven't taken a bath in 40 days, you've got no followers, you sit here, the sun has burnt your skin, you've got blisters in your face, and um, you know, you've got blisters on your feet, and you want to say, you are the Son of the Most High, and in the Jewish concept, Son means equal to the Almighty and the Possessor of all things. You really want to say that? So I believe what happened in Jesus was his mind started to play tricks on him. In his mind, he started to sit in a place where, oh my goodness, I need affirmation." And then the devil came and tempted him. The Bible says a man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own evil desire. And his des- a, a evil desire is a desire for works. So here was Jesus tempted. Tempted with what? Tempted, and this is how he tempted him, take this stone and make it a bread and then you'll know you the Son of God. So, what, what did Jesus' heart what, what was in his heart, what came to his heart? The devil offered him a new seat. Jesus was seated in I am the Son of God because Mary my mom told me this I was baptized by John a dove uh, not, not, the, the, not a dove the spirit came down like a dove upon me I heard a voice confirming this so his heart was completely settled in the fact that even the prophetic the, the prophet spoke about him and it manifested in his life I am the son of God it was all based on one thing and he found his life By the word that came from the mouth of the Father. So his heart, the seat of his emotions, the seat of all those things, what happened? It was shaped by the voice of the Father. Then Jesus, when in a hard time long enough, the situation started to form a word. And the word was, you are not the Son of God. And that word wanted to enter his heart and Satan offered him a new seat. And the seat Satan offered him was this seat. Jesus, let your emotions and your life be shaped by what you can do with the variability God gave you. Take this stone, make it a bread, and then you will know you the Son of God. So what would be the heart? What would be the new belief? The belief would be, if I can do a miracle, I'm the son of God. The belief would not be, because I am, because God says so, it's if I can do a miracle. So what did Jesus tempt, what did Satan tend Jesus with? With a very good, that was already in the life of Jesus. Could he do a miracle? Yes! He was saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is what you need to do. Look at your own ability, what was his ability to do a miracle? Then you work your ability—that's evil. It's an evil thing to take the variability of God in you and find your identity by doing that work instead of believing the word that He speaks over your life. When Adam fell, He brought forth this seed, and then mankind was born in the seed. Bring me another chair there, please. Thank you so much, Sean. So, here we find the two seats the heart that's evil, the evil heart. The evil man out of the evil heart brings forth evil things. Now, a human body. Now, let me explain this. And tonight's a bit deep, deep teaching. I don't think anyone would go so deep. <laughs> a human body, once it... W- w- in the presence of an evil heart, does not possess the ability to have eternal life. It dies. Because, what God has said is, what, who I am, and if you can believe what I believe, That belief possesses the very ability that you can share in my life like I was sharing about the opera house, you know, and watching, uh, you know, feeling my, my wife living in me. I can never feel what she feels by doing good works. It would be equal to say, you know, when I feel what she feels, I will smile. And then this chair will say, or this heart will say, smile, and that means you can feel what she feels. I can never feel what she feels by no amount of smiling. I can smile until my teeth is dry, but, that, but I will never feel what she feels. I can only feel what she feels once my heart is opened up to who she is, and who she is has entered my belief, and when I believe what she believes. And when I start to believe what she believes, then I share in her life. That's the only way. There is no other way. There are some people that are universalists today that say that everybody is saved. You don't even need faith to be saved. They don't understand God and they don't understand anything about the human and and our design at all. They are wasting their time preaching. They should get to the gospel and what God has done. Amen. Simple as that. I maybe just lost five invitations, but that's okay. So, What God has come to do is He has come to give us a new heart. Let's first read quickly about what the evil heart is in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. How can you be saved from pain and torture if you're a being functioning from a heart and you never have a change of heart? And how can you ever have a change of heart if you don't have a change of word? So the only way God could change our heart is to bring forth a new word. In order to bring forth a new word, he had to bring forth a new truth. I hope you understand what I'm saying. When When I speak about South Africa and I say to you, we are a democracy, we're not apartheid anymore. I cannot come with a new word unless there is a democracy. It doesn't matter how good the word is, if it is not based on truth, it's called a lie. If I came here in 1985 and I say we're a democracy, it's a lie. We first had to become and function as a, a country that's governed in democracy, and once that has happened, I could come with a new word, and then you could hear the word, it could shape your heart, and you could feel different about South Africa. That's how simple it is. So for God to bring forth a new heart, He had to bring forth a new truth. In order to bring forth a new new truth, He had to do some things. He had to end the old truth, and bring a new truth, so that we can preach the new truth, so that people can hear the word based on truth, that they could have a true heart, which we will speak about what that really is, and you can have a true heart and so find a new life born from or born in you based on the truth. And that's what the Bible says, we are born from the truth, or born from the incorruptible seed, the very word of God. It's through belief. You know, um, let's quickly go to Hebrews. Me just, I don't want to lose my attention here, you know. 3 verse 12 beware brethren lest there be any of you lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God now context of Hebrews 3 is people that are Jews it's written to the Hebrews Hebrews you know sometimes we think Hebrews beer no Hebrews, the Jews, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people—that's who it was written to. And we need to understand the context of this letter, who it was written to, and what was the 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 background. The background was Hebrew people that got saved and born again, and then because they were persecuted for the for this message, the message of grace, and that you um, and, and I mean everything that's around it. Because of this persecution, they thought, oh my goodness. You know, we excommunicated, we can't do business anymore, it's difficult for us, let us go back to legalism, let us go back to the law of Moses, where we follow the customs of Moses, we follow the rules and the regulations, wherein we believe that we would have life by our own works, as what the Jews believe. So, it talks about somebody that believes in Jesus, and now he wants to go into unbelief. He doesn't want to believe anymore, I'm righteous for free, I'm holy for free. And last night it was so wonderful for me. I, I sat in the bar there at the hotel and um, th- there was four guys. <clears throat> they were really drunk and uh, so I could sort of speak to them and just share the gospel. I was here talking about God and so I started to talk to them. I said, listen, I want to share with you and, uh, um, and as I started to speak to them I, I just found that the human heart and what you believe is so, so important, you know, and I could see how that heart just lives in every one of them, doesn't matter, all the alcohol does, it just brings out the belief easier. That's all it does. And I could say to them, listen guys, I want to tell you something, holiness, neither holiness, righteousness, or sanctification, is an end goal, but it's the point of departure, it's what I tell you, God has already given you. The one guy leaned over to me and said to me, Sir, are you from Satan? <laughs> <laughs> that chair inside him, you know, categorized that word as from the devil. That's from the devil. It can't be God. It's so anti what I believe, it can only be categorized as enemy. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, glory to God. So, the heart, the evil heart, it says an evil heart of unbelief. Trying to gain righteousness, gain points or have life by your own works is called an evil heart of unbelief. So, not believing the report that God has of your life is evil. It is evil. Let me, I, I put it down this way. Um, if you want to say, let me put it, the, the Bible says in Proverbs 23 verse 7, as a man believes in his heart so is he. So, if you want to tell somebody to be holy, if you, if you want somebody to live holy, you cannot do it by convincing him that he is a sinner and that he needs to leave, leave his sin and try and live holy. His heart would never allow it because He's still seated in the heart of I am a sinner. As long as what he's seated in the heart of I am a sinner and I don't qualify, what will come forth? All that the heart can bring forth is uh, the fruit of this heart. It can bring forth death. It can bring forth sin. That doesn't matter how much law and right doing you dump into this heart. It can never produce the life that's supposed to be in your life, because this seat, you know, will form your emotions, will form your intellect, will form your understanding, and it brings forth death. That's what the Bible teaches. So, if I want somebody to live holy, how should I do it? I need to bring a seat into him, or fashion a new seat wherein he believes he is holy, he is righteous, and he is sanctified. Only once he is, his heart is persuaded that he is sanctified, and the heart will not be persuaded by just telling somebody once. The heart needs facts. The heart needs something to persuade it. So, when we preach the gospel, if we want holiness in the, in, in people's lives, if you want holiness in your life, it doesn't help. You continue to sit in the seat of legalism law, wherein you find yourself as, I am not holy and not righteous, and I'm gonna try harder tomorrow, and I'm gonna hit that recommit button next month again. It's not the way. The way you're gonna do it is, you have to be in an environment where you hear enough, and see enough facts, based on what Jesus Christ has done, that will persuade you that you are holy, you are righteous, and you are accepted, and once your heart believes it, then you will find, as Webster says, the emotions, the purpose, the passion, the faculty of your understanding and intelligence, the seed of all spiritual and emotional life, will be born into your life. Glory to God. Hebrews 3.12 again, Beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. Okay, so what must we believe? We must believe the word. Now, you know, sometimes when you say believe the word, you know, I, I believe the word. And and, and we point to the Bible, but believe the word. Now, I understand that and I've got great respect for this Bible and you see I read from this book. I believe this book is inspired. But to explain to you what the word of God really is, is the word of God, another word for word is the word message or logic. The word word is the Greek word logos where we find our English word logic from. from the heart will come a certain logic that logic is always in line with the message that the heart has believed now what is God's word about man the Bible says that Jesus is God's word about you we find that Adam has been the word about you what is that what did Adam spell Adam said, you are in a place where you shall find life by your own ability. Jesus is God's word about you, which says that since there is life in a human being, and that human being is seated at the right hand of the Father as the high priest of mankind, that truth is the message about you. You have his holiness, you have his righteousness, you have his seat, You've got everything He has, and He is the one that gives it to you. Amen. That is God's Word. I I preached this year last year, and let me say it again. When we find the Word of God in the presence of sin, this is how it looked. There There was the Scriptures one day, and there was the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And the Scriptures came... The Scriptures caught the woman and the Scriptures found her guilty. And then the Scriptures dragged her before somebody which we know is the Word of God. And the Scriptures wanted some word about this situation. So the Scriptures was asking the Word of God some advice on what to do with somebody that is caught in the very act of adultery. To make a long story short, the Word of God... Jesus as a man God incarnated into human flesh carrying the sin of the world he was carrying her sin could not find her guilty and he said I don't condemn you that word I don't condemn you does not mean you know I feel in the mood to forgive you today that's not what it means the word condemn there is a legal term in order to condemn somebody, you had to go through a legal process. You had to have two or three witnesses that could testify that you really did it. Because a, a case would be established where there's two or three witnesses. So if there was two or three witnesses that caught this woman, then, then you can go and say, okay, it is so. So the first part of the whole investigation is fulfilled. And then from there, you go to the rule book and you see what should happen to such a person. And such a person, in this case, would have to be stoned to death. Then Jesus went through that. He is God's word about her. He went through the whole process. Found no witnesses. And found no reason to kill her, and then, from a legal perspective, he said, neither do I condemn you. And if you're willing to stay longer, I can explain to you, why he could from a legal perspective, say that. But he wasn't just saying that, because he was feeling good that day. He was saying that, because he was actually carrying a sin, at that point in time. And the sin was not on her, but on him. And when he took everything, into consideration, He couldn't come but to the conclusion that there is no condemnation for her. And then in the presence of no condemnation and no guilt, you possess a heart where you can believe that you are not condemned and you are not accused and from a new heart and a new seat you can hear the word of go and sin no more and that's the only way you'll ever get it right. There's no other way. Let us read. You might be at a place tonight where your heart condemns you. There's a very beautiful verse in the Bible in John, 1 John 3. Let us go and read that. or oh, we don't have to read it. I'll just quote it. The Bible says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. <laughs> yeah, you sit with a heart. you know? It condemns you, but one, Greater than your heart stands before you. And He can change your heart. He can reprogram your heart. And what God did in Jesus Christ was, He came and the Bible says, let let us just read that. That we have to read. We're going to read that from Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Oops, I missed it. Listen to this, verse 25, I think it's 25. Yes, 25. It says, Then will I sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from your idols. I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone, why the heart of stone? Because the law was written on stones. Out of your flesh, in other words, You will not believe in legalism anymore. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Why a heart of flesh? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and came and dwelt among us. He says, And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. Isn't that beautiful? So what he's saying is, he says, Listen, I will take the heart of stone. The Bible says, The law was written on stones. And we've taken this law into our heart when we believe that we are what we do. It says, I will take that belief system out of the heart of man. I will actually not just take that belief system out of the heart. I will remove the complete heart. And I will give you a new heart. A heart. A core. I will give you, as Webster defines it, let me read it again, I will give you a seat from where your emotions, purpose, passions Faculty and of your understanding intelligence can be shaped according to my heart. I will give you my spirit, my heart, my core, I will give you. My way of thinking, I will plant in you. And as I believe about myself, you'll be able to believe about you on account of me. And we will have a new life formed from it. So you know, if we really counsel people or preach the gospel, we waste a lot of time in behavior modification because if you want to try to just modify behavior you're not going to find anybody change we need to get into heart transplant we need to get into heart modification wherein a person's belief is altered wherein the Bible says be transformed by the renewal of your mind have a changed life by having a changed heart that's what he's trying to say. He doesn't say, try and meditate every day on five scriptures. You can meditate on five scriptures, and it can just strengthen your own belief. Right. What you need to have is a brand new heart. And maybe you don't have to meditate on any scriptures, as long as what you've got a new heart and a new belief, which is, as he is, so am I. That belief will bring forth life. Glory to God. Amen. This sounds easy to me. You know? What must I do? Listen just to His Word. What is His Word? Jesus Christ is. God, what is Your Word on my holiness? Well, Jesus, who He is, is my final declaration on Your holiness. Does that mean everybody is saved? Oh my goodness, please pay attention. We need a heart. And before we can have a new heart, we need to have a new truth. And unless that truth is an ultimate truth, how can we have a life deriving from that truth? Unless it's already clear and final. So, We have to have a word of our final holiness, our final righteousness, our final forgiveness in order to have a heart that can believe upon it so that it can live in us and manifest a new life. And so we are born again. You know, we've had a life born from law, born from legalism, born from obligation, born from the message of how we need to serve a God that doesn't have a smile on His face and try and get Him happy now we can have a life that is born from full acceptance, union, forgiveness, and perfection. For the scripture says very clearly that in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you have that fullness. You know why it says bodily? Because He's linking it to a human body, and since you have a human body, and He's got a human body, and that fullness is in Him, in the Trinity, and He's your high priest, He's high priest of mankind and we can declare that truth over you. If you can believe it, if you can have that truth as the seed of your heart, if you can have that truth as the seed of your emotions, if you can have that truth as the seed from where everything fits together, you will find His life. That's how He planned it. Listen, God has got no other way in saving you for He created a being that functioned like this. It is not for Him to decide for you if you can go to heaven or hell. It is the system function as I'm explaining to you. We cannot reason outside of the system. This is the system. Should we want to say, no, you know, God will just send you to hell and God will take whosoever He wants to heaven. You are completely destroying the very verse in the Bible that says, we love and move and have our very being in God. Let me explain that just quickly, you know. Uh, this is a very good analogy. I've, I've got a beautiful dog at home. The dog's name is Piano. I call him Piano because he's black and white. Piano loves me with all his life piano worships me he does I can send you a video of how he looks at me and you will have only one word that you can ascribe next to that video and that would be adoration and worship when I sit at the computer he comes up to me puts his, his chin on my knee and look at me with his absolute love and he would not move he would just stare like that with absolute just waiting for me to look at him, and I just see that I'm his everything. Piano obeys me. He worships and he obeys. If I tell him, go outside, he does it. If he's sleeping and it's cold, you know, and he's in his, you know, we've got a, blanket for him and everything and he's sleeping snuggled in there and I call him in the, in the cold you know what he'll do? He'll get up and come. He obeys me. The problem that I have with piano is when I've watched a football match and my, th- my team has won he struggles to share in my joy because he doesn't really understand this. When I try to explain to, to piano how I feel about my wife, he just continues with his stupid worship. <laughs> <laughs> For he lives and moves, and has his being in dog, and I live and move and have my being in God. We function differently. No amount of provision I give for him, he can sleep in a golden dog box, sleep on my leather couch, and eat steak. He will never know what it feels like to be me. But my wife will. For she lives and moves and has a being in me, and I in her. For we are the same kind. In the same way, we are the God kind people. It's not for Him to decide for you who will go to heaven, who will go to hell. There is a system in which this works. It's called the heart of man, the belief, your design. That's why He is a word. Please, I don't say it's just a message. Hear what I'm trying to say. He is a word so that you can believe the word, so that the word can save you from the lie. That's why we preach the gospel, man. That's why we want people to believe the gospel. That's why we want to preach this in the most practical, most beautiful, we'll we'll do anything possible, so we can just enter the heart of people with this word, that they can believe it and so be saved. You are deeply loved by God, your sins are forgiven you. He has taken away all of it. The only sin you can confess is that you've had a wrong heart. <laughs> but he's came to give you a new heart now. The only sin you can confess, and this is First John actually, the First John where it says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just. The true context, I don't have time because it's, a, it's a half an hour explanation, but the true context of 1st John which says confess your sin is faithful just to forgive you is to actually say that in my flesh I don't have the ability to have, the, have righteousness by legalism. That's confession of sin. That's true confession of sin. When you say that he can actually come and give life to my mortal body and bring forth fruit that is called Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. One of the fruit that this system can bring forth once his spirit becomes the heart from where on, on, on which everything is seated. The Bible, and this is what the real gospel, people, this is what the gospel is actually all about, is you'll become immortal. I don't say in this life now, but this, this Spirit that brings life to your body in the form of love and joy and peace and healing and all those kind of things, can, it shall, it shall, if you've got this heart, it shall make your mortal flesh immortal in the return of Christ. That's how powerful this stuff is. And that's the end goal. So we expecting Jesus, man. You know, we've been such a, our, our, our Christian hope. I may have, I'm going to shock you now. But our Christian hope has been dumped into expecting the Antichrist. And not life. For we've got this belief of destruction and all the rubbish. Instead of believing in Jesus. I don't expect no Antichrist. I expect Jesus are you saying there's no antichrist oh man open your eyes there are many people that are anti the message I preach right now they're all (laughs) antichrists amen did you enjoy that I enjoyed that let's clap our hands for the Lord Jesus Christ (laughs) hallelujah amen Father, we want to just worship you, we want to thank you, I want to thank you for the people that could watch online, people that are here, I thank you that you confirm your word with signs, wonders and miracles in the lives of the people that are in this, in this meeting, we've just had this, Father, we've had this thing that we always need to call people forward, you know my, my Abba, I've got nothing against that, but thank you that you just confirm this word in their bodies right now, as there are people being healed here, men and women being healed, children being healed, people watching via the internet being healed, as God confirms this word in your body right now. And thank you, Father, that we will not have an unbelieving heart in departing from the message of our innocence and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us a brand new heart, the seat from where our emotions, our feelings, the faculty of our intelligence and our understanding is formed. And thank you, Lord, that all spiritual life and all natural life will flow from this heart and it does. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to go every day inspecting our heart all the time to see where we believe wrong. All we need to do is sit under your glorious message and it shall enter our hearts and shape and form what we need to believe. Thank you, Father. Amen.